Well, it's a very familiar scene to anyone who has uh, done missions in a third world country, a body of water that runs along the edge of a slum that's so discolored and disgusting that you'd never be able to see the bottom. In one such city, there was a woman sitting next to that uh, stream right there at the edge of the water. She had a little tiny stall set up with a a broken umbrella covering her head. All day, her children just ran around and and played beside this sewer. Uh, She eked out a, a meager living, simply trying to sell duck eggs. She said, my son actually drowned in that water. He was eight years old. Little did she know, not far from where she sat selling those duck eggs, there's another swimming place, one where her son would have been totally safe. The water wasn't black like tar. It was clean and clear, a carefully maintained hotel pool built for their guest. Trained staff that oversee the pool, that oversee uh, the inhabitants, but the children in the slums, well, they don't swim in this hotel pool because it's for those that can afford to stay there, mostly foreigners. And to ensure its separation, it's surrounded by a concrete wall topped out with razor wire. It's a pretty striking picture of the world that we live in. Those that are in the slum have access to water that's filthy and dangerous. They live by the refuse of the city, environmentally, economically, socially marginalized. Meanwhile, those who are fortunate enough to be born into affluence and privilege live within the pristine walls of places of order and security. Often we're unaware. We live unaware of the slums the inner city existence of the majority of the world. Rarely do these two worlds ever meet, but at one point in human history, they actually did. You see, there was one who lived in splendor. In fact, he lived in an exclusive, gated community, abundance and opulence at every turn. The choicest of meals, the finest of clothes at his disposal, It was truly a life of royalty, one most of us could only dream of living. Yet in an amazing surprise, this man uncrowned himself, took off his robe, and he put on rags. He left his place of glory, and he moved into the ghetto. I love how the message paraphrase expresses this man's coming. In John, we read, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that an awesome word picture? Jesus, the God-man, he came as one of us to live among us in order to reach us and love us in ways that we could actually see and understand. And in a not-so-surprising turn of events, he says, hey, you've seen me do it. Hey, now you do it. You live this way. Well, we start a new series this morning that I'm calling Living Scent, and there'll be a verse that guides us in this Living Scent series. It actually comes from a prayer that Jesus prays for us, his followers. 
It's what we know as the high priestly prayer found in John chapter 17. And Jesus says this, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them, meaning us, his followers, into the world. See, Jesus praying for us reminds us that as his followers, he's given us a challenge that we would live sent the way that he was sent, to live with purpose, to live with the same mission that Jesus had, the same goal of glorifying our heavenly Father. Now, this series is a strategic one for us as a, a faith family. We've just completed two different series. One in First Peter where we looked at how Christians live in the world but suffer in this world. It's a challenging proposal for us to navigate living through the challenges and difficulties in this world. And then also in Daniel, where we just finished looking at what does it look like for followers of Jesus to live in a hostile and a foreign culture? How do we rightly live in Babylon, where where there's this collision of cultures that actually war against each other? It makes living in this world a dangerous place to live. But in these series, we've attempted to give you the tools from God's Word to help you better understand how to navigate life in this world. But now we want to actually look, well, what is our mission while we're here? And how do we live that out? And so whether you've been just reading the Bible or maybe you've been studying it for years, I would assume most of you would probably say, man, there seems like there's an awful lot of commands, Todd, that say do do this, don't do this, be kind, be generous, be devoted, don't be anxious, pray without ceasing, honor your father and mother, don't lie, don't steal, don't, don't kill, honor the Sabbath day, right? And, and the list, the things to do could go on and on and on. But then Jesus enters in In the New Testament, he says, really, all that God requires of you to be a follower can be boiled down to two things. Everything that I've said do and don't do can be found in this. Love God and love your neighbor. Surely we can remember two things, right? We can hang on to these two things. And today we're going to look at the second one. Love your neighbor. He actually says, love your neighbor the way you love yourself. Where do we best see this? I would argue in Luke chapter 10, you can turn there. It'll also be on the screen. If you're willing and able, I invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word this morning. We'll be in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. We read, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. They went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
So too a Levite, when he came to this place and saw him pass by him. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said to him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Heavenly Father, I would ask in these moments that you would open our eyes to the spiritual truths that you have for us today. Father, I fully recognize my words are woefully inadequate. In fact, Father, I'd ask you just move me out of the way that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would speak to our hearts and to our minds this morning, that you would open our eyes to see what you would have us to see from your word, the very words of life. And as your word goes out, Father, I pray that it would land on our hearts full of good soil that it would take good root and produce much fruit in our lives. Father, as always, we come to your word seeking so much more than information. Honestly, the last thing most of us need is to just know more. But God, we desire to be transformed, to be more formed and fashioned in the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, would you have your way in this place this morning? We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, honestly, one of my great fears and really a a great danger is preaching a familiar text. Um, I I think there's always this subliminal message that kind of goes on in our minds. Yeah, yeah, I've heard this one before. We're familiar. We know the story. We've kind of heard how it it plays out. So I would just want you to know that I've been praying for you this week, that our hearts and our minds would engage with God's Word this morning in fresh and new ways that, that would affect deep change in our lives, both individually but also corporately as a, as a faith family, that we would better understand, hey, what is Jesus' mission all about? How do we get on that? Well, in our text, the first person we encounter this morning is a man, we don't get his name, just simply known by his profession. He's a lawyer, Uh, not the Morgan and Morgan type. This one was actually an expert in the religious law. And so he would know the Torah well. He would know the commandments well. He would also know about Jesus' reputation pretty well. That guy hangs out with sinners. He hangs out with tax collectors, which he must have then concluded, this Jesus guy must have a severe disrespect for the law of God, the things of God. And so this lawyer sets out to trap Jesus, and Jesus just simply turns the tables back on him and says, well, hey, you're the expert. (laughs) You're the expert in the law. Well, what do you think it says? And we read what what he said, right? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, ding, 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 
Exactly. You got it. That's exactly right. You nailed it. (laughs) Now go and live it. Go and do that. The lawyer, probably sensing he was a bit trapped, asks a very pointed, clarifying question. He knows already he's supposed to love his neighbor. And so he asks Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? (laughs) I'm supposed to love people, but who exactly do I have to love? Surely God wouldn't want me to love tax collectors, sinners, Gentiles, prostitutes, lepers. I'm not supposed to be touching the dirty people. I'm supposed to stay away from those who are outcast and those who don't look like me or act like me or live where I live. So Jesus, who's my neighbor anyway? Don't we do the same thing? We want to know who our neighbor is, probably more who our neighbor isn't. Jesus, do I have to love people that aren't educated the way that I've been educated? Do I have to love people if they have a different accent than I do? Or if they live in a different part of Tallahassee than I do? What if they speak a different language than I do? What if they don't look how I look or dress like I dress? What if they don't value what I value? What if they don't vote the way that I vote? Jesus, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but I've got to know, who does that really include? And you know what's interesting? Jesus doesn't answer the question about who to neighbor. Rather, Jesus shows us how to neighbor. Jesus is going to show that everyone is our neighbor, those we intentionally and those we even unintentionally cross paths with. And then Jesus gives us specific instructions, practical advice on how to neighbor by telling a story. And the beauty of Jesus' stories, we know them as parables, is that we can always find ourselves in those stories. Now, that's also a bit scary because if you ask Jesus a question and he answers your question, or if he tells you a story, then buckle up. He's getting ready to let you know what he wants you uh, to know. And so we see the story, uh, rather we see the lawyer in this story, don't we? He's in the story that Jesus tells. He's not the Levite. He's not the priest. He's certainly not the good Samaritan. He's the battered traveler on the road in desperate need of the mercy of God. So can I give you a hint as to who you are in the story this morning? Yep, that's you. That, 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 that's me as well. well. We're the battered traveler. And until you rightly see and recognize your desperate need for Jesus to save and heal you, to cry out, God, would you have mercy on me, a wretched and broken sinner, until you start with your own need, you will never be able to meet the needs of others. Don't, don't, don't miss this this morning. You won't have neighbor love to give until you've radically experienced it first. You've got to radically experience the love of Jesus in order to give it 
away. And so I ask you, has the love of Jesus gripped you? Has Jesus overwhelmed your life? Has he changed your nature? Has he put a new heart in you? In 2001, Janelle Guzman was a 31-year-old office manager. She was working on the 64th floor of the World Trade Center's Tower One. When the havoc broke loose after the first plane collided into that tower, she stayed put per the announced instructions. She started down the stairs only after word came to evacuate the building. Incredibly, she made it all the way down to floor 13, but when she reached floor 13, the building began to collapse and Janelle's head then became wedged in between two pillars. Although at that time not being religious, she cried out to God. She asked for a second chance in life. She could see nothing but darkness and dust. She said another prayer, please just give me this one miracle. Suddenly above her, a man appeared, a man only named Paul, and he reached out and he grabbed Janelle's hand and he began encouraging her to hold on. He reassured her that she was going to make it through. He told her that she had to speak up so that rescuers would be able uh, to find her. Paul's hand let go of hers moments before the rescuers reached her. Janelle never found out who Paul was. She would spend months in the hospital afterward. Medical workers thought at one point that her leg might need to be amputated. None of her co-workers that she made the descent with made it through the collapse. She didn't find out till much later that she was actually the last person that was saved that day, the last person ever pulled out of the rubble alive. She later came to saving faith in God. Now she shares her story of the hope of the gospel with uh, others. Here's a woman, much like our, our story, who was dead on the road and now has life. And her story reminds us this morning that those who have been saved on the road not only have a story to share, but service to give, which means this is true for you and I as well. Those of us who have been saved on the road, we now have a story to share, don't we? And we certainly, like this good Samaritan, have service to give. And so how do we show neighbor love? to those who are around us. A few truths from our text this morning. The first is this, neighbor love awakens visually with gospel awareness. I would ask you this morning, have you been so gripped by the gospel of grace that you see the world differently? That you have the eyes of Jesus as you look out onto the things in this world One of the reasons why we just hosted the global 6K uh, race for water uh, was to have our eyes open to the reality that many of our neighbors around the world lack access to clean water. I showed you a picture of that earlier. I've seen it firsthand. In fact, it's a staggering number. Some 800 children will die today from causes 
linked to lack of access to clean water. That should grip our hearts. It's not okay for us to not know or not see. Love starts by seeing the need. Well, back in our story that Jesus tells, there were two men who walked right by the injured man. Who were they? They were both religious men. Religious men who worked in uh, the temple. These were men who knew God's law. They knew what was expected. And Jesus tells the story in such a way to make sure we know that, that they saw the injured man and kind of took the long way around. They crossed by on the other side of the road. And they didn't stop. And you know what? We won't stop either. Unless something drastic and dramatic happens in our life. So something must change in us that's so fundamental to who we are so that we can see differently. Your knowledge and beliefs will rarely move you. Have you noticed that? We know and see a lot of things. But here's the good news. The gospel can. And the gospel should Think about the world this way. If the whole world were a village of a, a thousand people, 60 in that village would hold the wealth. Nearly 500 in that village would be hungry. 600 in that village would uh, not have adequate housing. 700 of the thousand don't have access to clean drinking water. So you can see the challenge, right? How do we get the 60 to care about the rest of the village? And in case you can't make the connection, you and I, we're the 60. That's the number that we reside in. Listen, if you have food in your fridge, clothes on your back this morning, a roof over your head and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world. You and I exist in the top 25%. And if you take it a step further and have money in your bank, your wallet, and even some spare change, you're among 8% of the world's most wealthy. We live in the top 8%. And if you've never experienced the dangers of war the agony of imprisonment or torture or the horrible pain of starvation, you're more fortunate than 500 million people who are alive and suffering today. But here's what I know, even in sharing that. Knowledge alone won't change your behavior. Knowledge alone won't change my behavior. Only as the Holy Spirit works in our heart and as we preach the gospel to ourselves daily, reminding us that was me on the road, that Jesus came and rescued, then we have an opportunity to love our neighbors. And it starts first by seeing the need. Secondly, neighbor love engages internally with genuine compassion. After the priest and the Levite, the religious walked on by, we're told that someone stops to to help this severely beaten, robbed, and left for dead man. But the person who stopped 
to help actually would have shocked the audience that was listening to the story. Did you notice that when Jesus even asked the the lawyer who was the neighbor in the story, he couldn't even speak the name Samaritan? He said, well, it was the one who showed him mercy. He wouldn't even say the name. It's really important that you understand culturally what's going on here. The Samaritans were half-breeds, half-Jews and half-Samarians. See, when Israel was in uh, captivity, there were men or women who married their captors and had children. And so in this century, the Jews believed that if you had anything to do with a Samaritan, let's just say you ate the bread of a Samaritan, it, it was equally as bad as defiling yourself by eating pork. There were actually prayers that were prayed in the synagogue during this period that asked God not to give forgiveness or grace to the Samaritans. That's a pretty strong level of hatred. Yet the unexpected hero of the story was a Samaritan. And it was said, what, that he was moved with compassion. That should sound familiar to our ears. Because our unexpected and good hero, our good Samaritan Jesus, was said over and over again, what? That he was moved with compassion. Throughout the scriptures we read that he was moved with compassion towards the the hurting and the helpless and the harassed and the sick and the downtrodden and the lepers and the outcasts, anyone that had need, those that were distressed, Jesus was moved with compassion. He saw them as sinners in need of a Savior. That very compassion would take Jesus to the cross. And Jesus is the one who says to us as his followers, be like me. Do what I did for you for your neighbors. With a heart of compassion, love your neighbors. And so look at what Jesus is asking you to consider. He wants to ask some different questions of you this morning. From, well, what kind of person is my neighbor to what kind of person am I? From from what status of people are worthy of my love to how can I become the person whose compassion disregards status and simply moves towards my neighbors? See, Jesus is always asking us different questions than we're asking. And he's asking us questions that expose our hearts and show us our great need for him. Can I ask you to think about what breaks your heart this morning? As you engage with your neighbors or folks in our our city, what what stirs your passion? As you read the news or kind of see the world globally, what causes your heart to ache? See, neighbor love moves from our willingness to see the need to our ability to have our hearts stirred with genuine compassion. The third thing we see this morning is that neighbor love moves externally with practical action. We see the progression in the story, right, that that love moves us from our sight. We see the need to to our heart. We're stirred with compassion. And and now towards practical action. Looking back at what the Samaritan did in verse 34, he went to him. He bound up his wounds. He poured oil and wine. He set him on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn, and there he took care of him. 
it honestly didn't take much of a genius to figure out what to do, right? There's an injured man. I'm going to go to him, see if I can assess the need. I'm going to leverage my resources and see if I can put it into action. How do I care and help this hurting and injured man? He used the scope of his abilities. He used his resources to simply address the need. And it's not that complicated for us either. We do the same, a neighbor who is physically hurting, so I do what I can do to help. Someone who is hungry, I I feed them. People need clothing, and I have too many so I can give away. Look, doing God's work locally and globally needs to be financed, so I give of my resources. I give of my money uh, to help. We've overcomplicated something that Jesus says is very simple. Listen, faith family, the church today has more Bible studies more media and technology, more programs, more training for reaching others than any other time in our history. But yet we see the church in America on decline. Could it be as simple as we've forgotten the most foundational part of the process that Jesus said, love your neighbors? Love your neighbors like I have loved you? Just imagine if God's people caught a vision for the most basic command that Jesus gave us. And so here's the bottom line. God's calling us to invest in our neighbors, to sacrifice for our neighbors when necessary, and ultimately to serve our neighbors. We invest, we sacrifice, and we serve. We start right where He planted us. You and I exist strategically in Tallahassee, Florida right now for the sake of His mission. We don't stop here, but we certainly start here. And we start where He's placed us, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, on sports teams, in the sphere of influence we have, in the workplaces that we have. And we just say, God, would you help me see the need? Would you open up my heart with compassion? And would you help me to address practical needs? The year was 1996 when a group of KKK members held a rally in Michigan. The police were present. They knew there was going to be tension that could erupt into violence. And they say, put a a barrier between the KKK members and those who were protesting the hate. There was actually a guy who infiltrated the protester side, who was wearing a Confederate flag t-shirt, had white supremacist tattoos uh, on his arms, and someone uh, in the crowd pointed him out and said, kill the Nazi, kill the Nazi. Suddenly a crowd surrounds him, they run in and start beating this man senseless. Moments later, an 18-year-old girl named Keisha Thomas, an African-American girl, ran and threw her body over this man to protect him from the blows. In fact, here's the famous picture that made the cover of many magazines. What in the world would compel a young girl to put herself at physical risk to protect a man who most likely would want to harm or kill her if he had the opportunity? What does that? Love does that. Love moves us with practical action. She was interviewed later, and Keisha said her faith played a big role in her response, and I quote, I knew what it was like to be hurt. 
There were many times that it happened and I wish someone would have stood up for me. What did this brave young girl do? She walked across the street to protect another human being who very likely would have wished her harm. Because why? Love walks across the street. Love moves us in to action. That's how you show neighbor love. That's how you show the love of Jesus. You just walk across the street. Both here in Tallahassee and to our neighbors around the world. So Jesus never answers the lawyer's question of who is my neighbor. Instead, he paints a picture of what a life transformed by the gospel looks like. He challenges him to be a new kind of person, the kind of person that Jesus died to save and transform. A, a new person with a, with a heart of flesh that has replaced the old heart of, of stone, that out of that new heart shows neighbor love. Love that sees the need. Love that's moved by compassion, that's propelled into action. How's the world going to know that we're followers of Jesus? Well, do you know what the Bible says? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the world's going to know we're followers of Jesus by our perfect theology. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say the world's going to know that we're followers of Jesus by our perfect church attendance. It doesn't say that they'll know we're followers of Jesus if we've been baptized, which is important. If we give money, which is important, and the list could go on and on, the Word of God says they'll know, the world will know we're followers of Jesus by what? If we love. If we love Him and love our neighbor. So who's your neighbor? I would say the next person you come in contact with. If we could train ourselves to think that way, well, how do we love them then? We love them like Jesus loved us. And for some more practical ideas, uh, there'll be a link at the bottom of the sermon notes page. You can follow the QR code uh, on the screen to our website that just gives practical ways that you can show neighbor love even this week that this neighbor love would mark the faith family known as Wildwood Church. That people would say, man, those Wildwood people, man, they love well.